Hi everyone, it's Jen. We're nearly at the end of season three of Living While Feminist. I'm really chuffed to have gotten this far and I've really enjoyed speaking with every single guest on the podcast. At the end of every episode, I've asked a feminist to recommend a book or books that has inspired their feminism. I thought it would be good if at this point we could do a quick recap of all 28 feminists and the books they've recommended. So thank you so much for listening so far. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so that other podcast listeners can find it. And thank you so much for listening. Speak to you soon. Hello and welcome to Living Well Feminist. Living While Feminist is a weekly podcast talking with feminists about the ups and downs, ins and outs, and the emotional rollercoaster ride of living a feminist life. I'm your host, feminist writer, researcher, and author, Jen Thorpe. First up, we have a recommendation from Tiff Mugo, author, freelance journalist, and sexpert. So African Sexuality as a Reader has really shaped a lot of the things that I think about sex. It's also the material I use for the basis of both my TED Talks. But um, I don't think that I have any books that have like truly, truly inspired me. And not, this is not to say that like that is not like that these books aren't out there or whatever. But like it's actually kind of just not the way I roll. Um, if you see from like my writings and the way that I write, it's engaging with people that has truly inspired me. Oh my gosh, I sound like such a douche right now. I'm just I'm just drawing from the world. But yeah, that's actually true. I am literally just drawing from the world. And I find that um because I, I also get very distracted very easily, learning from books is not always the best. I'm not the best at book learning, but African sexualities a reader is really, really great if you want a very brief, very powerful snapshot of sexuality and sex on the continent, because it has some powerful essays. It was um, edited and compiled by Sylvia Tamale, who is a titan, a whole head wrap wearing titan. It has like works from like Zetu and Chimamanda and like it's just it does a whole thing. And I've, and I've loved it. But over the years, it's actually just engaging with people, like meeting people like yourself, like Talang, like, you know, Casey Blake, like so many randoms who have just been like, woo. And also all the queers I've met. God bless them. And just, yeah. Yeah, that's that's basically been it. <laughs> Our second guest on the podcast was Carla Watson, an educator and activist, and she had this to say about books that have inspired her. Initially, when 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 I heard this question, I was I was a bit thrown by by which book you're asking someone who reads to choose a book, um, and you know once I quietened that that resistance, I found that The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood was the one that that was so disturbingly accurate. I mean, you know, that's quite an extreme statement, but there were pockets and elements of it that were so entirely accurate that stirred so much crossness within me that I couldn't watch the, when it became a series, I couldn't watch it. I, I think I watched one episode and I said, oh no, this, I cannot have a picture in my head of, of the feelings that I feel, it's too much. And the, the content of that book, at least how she portrays it, um, really invites a, 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 a lens of curiosity onto your own life in a way that is, is, is quite um, intimate. And, and I, I, I you know, shared the, the book with a male friend and, and he was in, in thrown. He had so many questions like, is this what? It must be fiction. It can't be real. And then when we started to unpack a little bit of the historical relevance of, of the text, 
he was just as angry as I was. And then again, I guess that was one of the starts of, of my journey to being comfortable with being cross and impatient and angry at, at, at things that just don't make sense. Or rather in my book, they, they shouldn't make sense as they are. Our third guest was poet and writer Kerry Hamilton. She had the following book recommendations to give after spending months immersed in feminist literature for her PhD. Okay, so uh, there's, there's, uh, there's three, I think, that are very important. One is Rebecca Solnit's The Mother of All Questions. The other one is um, Shami Chakrabarti's Book of Women, which for me, the, the stats and the history that she goes into about women, just a very important book. And then Laurie Penny's book called Meat Market, which is about um, uh, being a woman, um, the, it's female f- flesh under capitalism. And I think it's it's very mm-hmm. important to, to, to see that. Um, it, it comes back to what we were talking earlier on about image and and that our economy revolves around women buying makeup and having their hair done and all of those things. So yeah, th- yeah. those three. And now here's Shari Maluleke, student and feminist writer. Oh, too many. <laughs> um, but the first book that came to mind was uh, A Thousand Splendid Sons. Yo, that book is too much. <laughs> And to be honest, I didn't expect, I didn't expect it to be as relatable as it was, obviously, because the context is very different, but it's one of the most beautiful stories I have truly ever read, Um, because it just talks about the importance of the companionship between women, especially in very toxic and tough situations. So A Thousand Splendid Sons, 100% was literally one of the most stunning novels um, that really inspired my feminism because I think it also just opened my eye up to different types of feminism um, that women in Afghanistan which where the book is based is are fighting different battles than women in South Africa and it's the same that women in America are fighting different battles to women in you know Brazil or something you know so it was just it was very eye-opening because it made me see the different ways women are fighting for their rights and it was, it's a very beautiful book, but um, just one more book also is Nervous Conditions uh, by Titi Tangaremba, uh, one of my favorite novels uh, based in Zimbabwe. And yeah, it's also very stunning because it's based on the relationship between two cousins, uh, Nyasha and Tambutai. And again, it also has that very important theme of companionship between women and um, it shows different types of radicality. So Nyasha is like the very radical, like I own my body, sex positive type feminist. Whereas Tambutai is also, as she's a little bit conservative, but her feminism, because she grew up in poverty, her feminism mostly revolves around upward mobility and accessing education that her brother had that she couldn't have access to because she was a girl in her family and her brother was the only boy in her family but also it just opened your eye up to poverty classism um yeah so those were like two novels that heavily defined my feminist ideas because it just opened my world up to so many different worlds out there our fifth episode featured Desiree Ann Martin author poet and general word junkie when I was a child it was definitely Little Woman by Louisa May Alcott because I just wanted to be Joe so badly. 
later on, as I developed a passion for writing, it was uh, A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf, which looked at um, the established literary criticism at the time that female writers were inferior to their male counterparts. And I'm also obsessed with Anayi Nin, so Henry and June and actually everything that she's written would definitely feature. I was lucky enough to talk in episode 6 with Karin Shimka, an award-winning poet, award-winning translator and freelance journalist at large. Okay, first of all, the first most important one is I remember Pippi Longstocking being, being my feminist, independent, unafraid, wonderful, embodied little feminist that I, yeah, she's all I wanted to be. Um, and for a long time, Pippi was also my um, username in a particular forum because I just love it. But um, probably the one that had a big influence on me at the, when I was young was The Woman's Room. So um, it is a novel. Um, the woman, uh, the writer's name is Marilyn French. And um, it really is just about a woman in the 50s. It sounds so old fashioned now. But how, how she you know, gets married, has children and then ends up doing something better. And it was the first time that I had had my imagination stimulated in a way about what my possible options could be. Uh, for my for my future as, a, as an adult. Um, and then all the others were there. They're all here. The female eunuch, um, Woman in Love by Sherheit. Um, Fiona Giles wrote a fantastic book called Fresh Milk, which is on breastfeeding. Um, the, the Vagina Monologues by Eve Ensler. But it doesn't matter what I read. It just matters that one reads. Really, I can't, there's no, I mean, these are so old. You you know, it's not, this is not going to help any, any, any young feminist from now. Really, it, it doesn't matter what I read. But the, <laughs> Matters is just reading. It is reading is just the greatest pleasure and the source of everything. I had the pleasure of talking with Aisha Dadi Patel about her recommendations of a book you should read. Well, feminism is compiled by Jen Thorpe, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know what? There there are so many books I've read, fiction and nonfiction, along the way, which have. guided me kind of to the person that I am uh definitely like I say again I know it's it's an essay and not a book but Leila Abulugad's stuff is just phenomenal um so she she actually wrote an essay called Do Muslim Women Need Saving which then got turned into a book but even if you just read the essay that will tell you all that you need to know um Edward Said's Orientalism, something that changed my life. And I don't even mean that, you know, in the dramatic sense that young people like myself sometimes do. Um, I think it's so empowering when you can realize for yourself that you are you you are viewed as an other because of a vantage point that has enabled for you to be viewed as an other. And so it's very empowering to be able to realize that there are multiple vantage points and that you need to be always be questioning vantage points. Next up, here's Professor Srila Roy, Associate Professor of Sociology. Oh yeah, I, oh, gosh, I don't know, I'd be really curious to see how other academics respond to this because it just feels so difficult to pinpoint anyone because I can just immediately think of several. I mean, I, I, I suppose all I would say is instead of like one book, I would say that, you know, I really... Uh, been inspired by and maybe to go back to the transnational uh, point of you know feminist feminist voices in our context right in what was once called 
the third world, so whether Latin America or Africa or Asia. And and for me, those voices has have always been intersectional. And and I think that's it's a it's a good way that you put it, Jen. It's it's kind of like no one thought of it as being intersectional, but it always was, right? And so yeah, I suppose just to really like not answer your question, but to say it's it's really been and and not just and these are by no means just academics like poets or writers, fiction, but all of it has been from yeah, the, the former third world. In our most listened to episodes so far, I spoke with Awetu Makatini, entrepreneur, writer, and womanist. She had this to say about books. I don't know if it helped me in my feminist journey, but The Bluest Eye. I read that and like, oh, it like was a sip of McDonald's Sprite. I was just like, oh, oh my word. It's just to have black writing that was black and that centered black people and blackness. I was shook. So I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I, I would say that it contributed to my feminist journey because feminism or womanism to me is just a return to self, you know, being able to see yourself and look at yourself. So I would say the bluest eye for me really fiction, just like black fiction really just made me go yes there is an alternative and that understanding of that there is something else and it's written about and it's celebrated means that I'm not wrong what does that mean now for myself then I went into the understanding of like oh I'm I'm tethered in these ways because I'm a woman sharp I'm tethered in these ways because I'm black sharp so I would say Black fiction, black fiction by black queer authors is is what made me the version of myself that I am right now. In our last episode of season one, I spoke with Helen Moffat, writer, award-winning poet and editor extraordinaire. A recent book that didn't so much inspire my feminism because my feminism was inspired 30 years ago or 40 years ago, but a book that gave me the strength and the courage to keep on going is Pumla Deneo Paula's Rape, A South African Nightmare. It sounds like a terrible title. It looks a terrifying and intimidating book, but she writes with such grace and sparkle and determination to take an absolutely awful and persistent and poisonous social problem that affects every single woman and probably every single man in this country. And she just is so solution oriented and her analysis is just so skillful. And and then it just, it kind of made me feel, I know this sounds weird, a book on rape made me feel hopeful that we could eventually crack this demon, that we could crack this problem, we could solve this problem. So I really recommend that um, for every despairing, tired, older feminist, for every bright-eyed, bushy-tailed younger woman who's um, banging her head against brick walls and not knowing where to turn, I recommend reading that book. At the end of season one, we had a bonus episode with best-selling author Sam beck Bessinger, and these were her book recommendations. Okay, great. So um, I think recently 
a book that has really kind of made me think even more deeply about reproductive labor um, is this fantastic book by Joanne Ramos called The Farm, which is so relevant for South Africans. It's a, it's a fictional book, but based on the very real emerging phenomenon of uh, surrogacy for rich, rich women, um, often done by poorer women. And it's fantastic. It's such a good book. Highly recommend. It really will make you think about a lot of things. Um, financial books. Uh, there's a book by Vicki Robinson called Your Money or Your Life. It's an old book now. I think it was published in the early 90s. But it's so, I, I love it because it's not about the nuts and bolts of investing in different types of assets. It's about the emotional relationship that we have with money. And the stuff that we were talking about, it's it's about recognizing that all the money you will earn over your whole lifetime is limited. So it's really important to be choiceful about what you're going to spend that money on. So it's great. Highly recommend. We started season two talking with writer Relebone Reranzu e Africa. I, de- I, I guess definitely nervous condition. Oh, everything that Toni Morrison has written, <laughs> but especially The Bluest Eye. I think the first time that I read that, I was repelled. And I actually rem- remember writing in my in my um, diary at the time, because I've kept a diary for so long. I actually remember writing, I'm never going to read books by this woman because she's this, that, and the other, you know. But I kept going back, like some kind of voodoo. I just kept going back because there was something about it that rang true to me. And that I just said that this book is challenging me. And so I read it over and over again. And I realized that actually what's happening is that this book is challenging things in me that, you know, I haven't wanted to face or things in me that have been difficult to look at. And since then, I've been hooked. So I think um, it's it's actually very much, you know, it, it, it actually influenced my feminist ethos that we need to challenge ourselves and the things that we hold as deep, deep beliefs and examine are these true where do they come from who told me that is it true to what I as a person really want to keep believing is that a value that I can stand by forever you know um so definitely nervous conditions and the bluest eye uh and I think I think a question of power just because of how expertly uh Bessie Head looked into you know mental illness but also um being a woman in a society that completely misunderstands you um and that was you know a big lesson in 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 how the patriarchy views you and how there's different layers to every woman's struggle next up here's juanita de villiers student in gothic literature and horror enthusiast so all of the amazing uh women authors that i've mentioned you know um but particularly um angela davis is a massive influence on me and my theoretical frameworks um but also um i think i've mentioned the sexual politics of me in terms of fiction one that i didn't mention that is sometimes i think cliche but go back to it if you read it as a teenager and you thought that you understood it and you did you understood it at that time with your current framework but go back to it now as an adult is the bell jar i recently reread it and it was a completely different experience from when i read it as a teenager it resonated in very different ways and um plath's description of um of of the bell jar of that feeling of being in that dome it's it's so powerful and it just gets more poignant as you get older um sister outsider is a great collection to read 
Um, There's just so much. And I think actually what I will say is this, take an interest that you have, if it's art history, if it's music, if it's whatever, and find something with a feminist framework that relates to that. And that can be a great introduction. In episode three of season two, I spoke with social justice activist Zangose Tembo. I think it's called Beaches, Bananas, and looking at feminism from spaces that are, you know, just treated as female spaces. So, you know, women as prostitutes or women who sell fruit as well. Just looking at people's jobs and sort of the gender nuances that are in that. And in the same vein, I've read something called Men Without Women by Ernest Hemingway, which is just men at war and you know, just men who who are bullfighters and men who are just spaces that are dominated with men. And I think if you look at things that approach stories of men and women in sort of contexts that are specifically related to the agenda, you then just, I don't know, it teaches you a lot. Season 2, Episode 4, featured award-winning author, medical doctor and creative writing facilitator Dawn Garish. You know, I was actually thinking about the first books I read that woke me up and I have to say it's Virginia Woolf and Doris Lessing those two writers woke me up to the body and I think and I read recently I can't remember who said this but if you are in touch with your body you're in touch with the environment because it's our animal bodies that we have so ignored and so abused actually um, very often in our culture encourages us to ignore our bodies and treat them badly actually so it's the only home we have actually until we die that and the and the earth so uh, i'm interested in that thing of how do we wake up to our bodies um, in a way that is respectful and uh, curious and paying attention to what the body needs what the body this beautiful animal body what do we do you know how do we live through this body um yeah so those are the two writers that woke me up long ago i recently reread um a room of one's own of virginia wolf and i have to say it's just fantastic next up is full-time feminist and activist writer della guala I guess the book that inspired my feminism, I've talked a little bit or quite a lot about earlier on, but I'll say more. Um, I guess the, the overall book is Sister Outsider, but the the essay I think that I have been really drawn to recently has been The Uses of the Erotic. Um, and what brought me back to that piece was we actually read it um, as part of my like gender studies course last year. Um, But again, I think sometimes you read something years on and it finally sinks in or you finally have the experiences to understand it. And I think that that's what happens with this essay is um, the uses of the erotic basically talks about how we have this internal like feminine, like life force within us um, that can power our creative work or create can create meaning in our work and how uh, the erotic is something that has been, I guess she talks about it, has been like um, demeaned or pornified or just sort of made to be something that's just about um, sex or sensation rather than the erotic force being something that can um, 
be a part of other parts of our life or create a sense of joy and play and pleasure um, in, in other parts of our life. So I'm really just interested in that idea of bringing like a sort of like feminine, beautiful spiritual power into your work or into your daily life um, and, and having a life that feels playful and creative and I don't know 100% how to do it yet, but I love that idea. Um, and I love that idea that, like, again, um, feeling and emotion and a creative force that's often been demeaned, especially in women, is, is something that is worth um, celebrating or is a, is, a, is a source of power. So I highly recommend <laughs> I next spoke with astronaut, artist, podcaster, and writer, Anya Nana Fenter. Okay, so um, I have to give a shout out to uh, Kathleen Moran, <laughs> who I know is sort of a, she's sort of the, the um, she's sort of like a, like a everyday feminist, you know, very relatable and has a very broad reach and maybe isn't always, um, I, I know that she has some blind spots, but I truly, truly enjoy her work, and she has been one of those people that even for, I mean, I still have friends, like very close friends who don't necessarily identify as, as feminists, who say like, you know, like, yeah, I, I agree with feminism, but I'm not going to go out and be a feminist, um, and being able to give them uh, Kathleen Moran's really accessible, um, really sort of gentle introductions to ideas around feminism um, has been made a world of difference in terms of those conversations. So Kathleen Moran's how to, yeah, how to be a woman, how to build a girl, uh, how to be famous. Um, yeah, I'm a very big fan. Here's M.A. Warden, philosophy lecturer, aspiring writer and artist. Perhaps another book recommendation that I can provide, especially to those in the audience who enjoy fantasy, is Ursula Le Guin's To Hanu, the fourth in her Earthsea series. Unfortunately, I feel that to really appreciate the power that that book holds, especially as a feminist text, you have had to have read the, the preceding three books in the series. But I think the time and effort that takes is well worth the effort. It's a very rewarding book. And the series has been um, very influential to me as a writer. Ursula Le Guin takes established fantasy themes and tropes and simultaneously incorporates them but also subverts them in her work. In episode 8 of season 2, I spoke with climate activist Nioka Naidu. The ones that come to mind, um, which doesn't necessarily seem like climate change related work, and I don't think all environmental reading um, actually takes feminism into account, but I really found reading feminist literature like um, Audre Lorde or Angela Davis, learning about different intersectional movements and what it meant to be a, a feminist about advocating for rights, um, allowed me to then look at, for example, Wangari Maathai. Um, and look at that from a, from a different point of view. 
Um, and then there were different authors like um, Jared Diamond, Yuva Noah Harare that also provided like a more a more long-term perspective of what decisions right now actually mean. And I think one of the most important books for me um, was this book called, it was, it's called Deep Sloot by Anton Haber. And I read this quite a long time ago, um, which talks about the actual area of Deep Sloot in Johannesburg. Um, and there was at one point a special area of, um, that was like a, a wetland that had a specific type of frog that was endangered. And what that, were the people important? Was the frog important? What really needed to happen there? Um, and at the point, and I've read this subsequently since then, because when I started in the environmental movement, I think I started a little bit more radical that environmental justice was the most important aspect. And it was later on that I, I realized through engaging a little bit more with not just writing and reading, uh, but with people, um, that we make up the fabric of our society. And that sounds uh, like a normal thing to understand, but it was all our decisions have implications. Um, and whether you're working as, a, as an accountant or support staff or different services, you know, um, it actually, when you think about your day-to-day -day lives um, and how you engage with people around you with kindness and compassion and understanding, um, and at the same time, realizing that we're all human and we have to, we all think that we are quite complex and we have all these various um, aspects to juggle in our lives, but everyone does. Um, and to understand that and say, well, what is my role and responsibility um, in my community? And um, how can I best serve when I can serve? And feminism is was such a great anthology, but when I read Living Wild's Feminist, uh, it was it was probably one of my best reads reading South African literature. Um, but then realizing that it wasn't just me that was experiencing some of these these aspects. It's there's so many people that do it, and you don't feel so alone. And I think that's what writing and reading can actually do is help you um, articulate yourself and your feelings. Episode 9 of Season 2 featured the fantastic publicist for both Feminism Is and Living While well Feminist, as well as many other amazing books, Helene Prince-Lewer. The Red Tent by Anita Diamond. It looks at its fiction, written by a Jewish historian, and it, um, it's the story of Dina in the Bible, the lesser known sister of Joseph who had his amazing Technicolor dream quote and there's one line in the Bible that describes her and gives us an idea of who she is and it's that she was raped and her two two of her brothers avenged her death and Anita Diamond took her life or took took her circumstances and the historic Jewish context um, around the time she was living and she wrote this incredible book 
about what it meant to be a woman in that time. Now, I'm not religious, but um, the red tent is where Jewish women were sent um, during their menstruation and where they, yeah, <laughs> it's the bleeding tent. And um, the stories that were told there and the rituals about being a woman during those times is just incredible. And I read it sort of at the at the start of my own coming to terms with being a feminist or or learning that I am actually a feminist and it really shaped me to 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 know that hey behind every woman and I say woman with an x um behind every woman there's an entire story that the world has suppressed um but it's a story worth telling and it's a story worth pursuing in the last episode of season two, I spoke with teacher and deputy provincial secretary of the Young Communist League of South Africa in the Western Cape, Naledi Maponopono. For me, it was mostly academic reading, so not necessarily a novel. So, you know, I've been so bad at um, reading novels since I started university because the reading gets so much. I mean, you don't even have time to read for leisure. But there was one book I read um the it was a book about Winnie Mandela explaining about her life, what she went through um in the prison, you know, and the erasure of her contribution to politics, the erasure of, you know, all the efforts that she put in to keep the the, the liberation movement alive. So that book for me, I think was called the dream of Winnie Mandela or the, I forget the title now, but so that book, it really, you know, it made me realize the gravity of how women's contribution in any place in society is, is erased in such a way that whatever they, whatever women do is not recognized. And for me, I felt she did so much, but, um, you know, yes, she was not perfect, but to vilify her and to, you know, there is no perfect leader. Even men are not perfect in leading liberation struggles, but the manner in which she was vilified and she was made out to be such a horrible person when she did so much to contribute to the liberation of this country as a social worker during apartheid, for me, it struck me a lot. And I felt that we need to do more to recognize women in every sphere of society, whether they're political leaders or not, while they are still alive, you know, because now for me, it's immaterial that we, we say we celebrate her, but she's no longer here to know that we appreciate what she did for us. And now I wasn't even born yet, but I appreciate the immensely what she did for me. So that book really opened my eyes because I didn't really understand what she went through. So you know, as a woman in prison, not having sanitary towels, not being able to see your kids, being taken away from your home, it just, it, 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 it nighted me to actually, because now I'm in a democratic society and I have more tools than she had to, to you know, to push through for liberation. So yeah, it really, it, it moved me. I just forget the title, but I think it's... Was it not The Resurrection of Winnie Mandela by Sitonke Mismam? I think so. We began season three with Nabantu Shabangu, writer of plays, poems, short stories, and essays. Ah, uh, wow. In, in 2014, I, I read a book. I've, I've many books. <laughs> I read uh, Bessie Head's A Question of Power. So I, I loved that book. And it's one of her under-recognized books. Most people know her for Ma- Maru. 
but a question of power is really about it, it's such a subtle book for me as a queer person i just i just i was just reading it like nah this was written for queer women you know so Bessie head hits the nail there about queer not queer women but different women living in 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 a society where their existence and identities are sort of questioned you know and they they're trying to just make a living be it through farming and and through relations with others it's a beautiful book but Bessie head writes beautifully and uh Nabuk Mafaouz, I think I'm saying it, I'm, I hope I'm saying it. he's an Egypt, Egyptian writer. And he wrote this trilogy. Uh, one of the books is called The Palace of Desire, The Palace Walk, Palace of Desire. Oh, I can't remember it now. But I just like how he writes about women in there. And there's this one woman, you could say she's a courtesan. And she entertains men at night. And then there's another woman who's a devoted wife. So I just loved the contrast of, of those two. And, and that really just grew my feminist, my, my, my imagination and how to exist as a person that gendered female. Like there is a choice. There is a choice and you can thrive. <laughs> Next up, here's freelance writer Alice Draper. It's hard to pinpoint just one book, um, but I think someone who really inspired my feminist thinking growing up was Judy Bloom, because, I mean, I don't necessarily know if she would identify as, like, putting her books into a feminist theme, but um, I, I grew up reading, I remember picking up her first book from my school library in, like, grade three or four, and it was Blubber. And then after that, I read all her like children's books, young adult books, adult books. And she kind of almost like raised me through childhood and the like things that I never spoke about. I was a very shy child and um, things that I never heard being spoken about, which was all the kind of awkwardness about it, like the awkwardness of going through puberty and like wondering when your period's going to come or like the awkwardness of being a child and I mean like dealing with so many themes like divorce um and it kind of instilled thinking in me that um girls and women should be allowed to be vulnerable and open about things and like I may not have like um applied this into my life but like the thinking was always there and I think it was so key to like my feminist identity as an adult um what the, her influence had on me as a child and then I also keep raving about All About Love by Bell Hooks. Um, and yeah, she the book's essentially about loving, but she talks about everything that gets in the way, like passive acceptance of lies and our personal and like our public lives. Um, and then struggles with self-esteem and self-acceptance that often stem of being shamed. That gets in the way of our authentic selves and without really truly accepting ourselves, it's really hard to enter like any kind of love, whether that's friendship um, or family or partners. Season three, episode three, featured author, mother, and scientist Anelile Tlamini Kipikrejo. The first book that in, in inspired my feminism is probably the first books of feminist literature that I read were Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie um, and she um, it was Half of a Yellow Sun um, and then it was Purple Hibiscus um, the other two 
you know <laughs> okay <laughs> but i'm always around my fave my fave is definitely um half of a yellow sun and and therefore i started listening to her more therefore i started um understanding things like why uh listening to things like why should all we why should we all be feminist and then coming closer to home was definitely um feminism is which i got much later i got i i bought it but i read it much later just because um I'm a scientist, so <laughs> these, you know, these ideological things sometimes miss me, and I'm and I'm always frustrated with the with the with the culture for that, with the feminist uh, revolution for that. It, it it uses very big language that typically just excludes us. So um, I was thinking it's one of one going to be one of those books, and then the first essay by Opumla Dinewokola, uh, definitely, you know. I found the I found the softness of feminism. I found the subtle the subtle um, uh, tones of it. And even though I was already identifying as as one from my own research, but I can definitely say that feminism is locally misbehaved. Definitely, um, rape, pumla kola, um, and the initial wave of Chimamanda in my life. Um, in Papulipiscus because it is a Catholic um, uh, family story, Papulipiscus. In fact, I definitely need to read it again. <laughs> Season 3, Episode 4 features queer researcher, academic and yogi Jared Thompson. Sarah Ahmed's The Cultural Politics of Emotion. And in there she writes about, um, she analyzes the way emotions work in in media, in society, but she does it through a feminist lens. And right at the at the end of the, the book, she has an afterword where she writes about current development in feminism and how feminism is really about sort of defamiliarizing these these structures that are just seen as normal, right? And having a sense of of, of awe with the world in the sense that the world has not things have not always been like this it sometimes feels like the structures that are in place are, have always been in place but she says that to approach the world in this sort of this or state is to see that these structures can change that they have not always been this way and that it is possible to alter them and to change them and i really connected with that and and i love um sarah Amma's writing it's just amazing in episode five i spoke with writer and award-winning poet aria salafranca there is one well there are a few books um what first inspired my feminism i mean i'd been aware of it before and knew about feminism was reading the woman, the women's room by Marilyn French, which I mean it was a long, long time ago. I was sixteen when I read it, but it fired me up. I, suddenly, I knew all about the inequalities that women have faced, even though it was set, I think, in the sixties or perhaps the seventies, and it was American woman, American woman of a certain class, educated, so to speak. But it still made me aware of how women had been sublimated in society. But I also went on to read the famous feminist. Gloria Steinem's book, um, Outrageous Acts and Everyday Rebellions, which is a collection of her journalism and her essays from, I think it's from the 1960s right up until the 80s. 
and it was she wrote about everything under the sun from being a playboy bunny to issues around feminism and in it was the most wonderful iconic essay um, if men could menstruate and this essay is witty and funny and deeply deeply profound and intelligent because through the subject of if men could menstruate and, and what would happen in the world if men could menstruate I urge people to go out and try and find this essay if it's online or, or in a collection which is still in print. Um, she shows, she, she brings, she illuminates the inequalities that women do face still in society, even now, I mean, even though the book was written um, or published many, many years ago, in a, in a funny, enlightening, wonderful way. So that's, that's a book I would press on to people. I haven't reread it in, in years and years and years, but I would like to, I thought, on Kindle recently as a special, and so it's an opportunity to get it in digital format, which I prefer reading in these days. In episode six, I spoke with actress, writer, and filmmaker Gabriella Pinto. Yes, it's not actually a, a feminist text per se, but it is. A, it's called um, "I Shall Not Hate: A Gaza's Doctor A Gaza Doctor's Journey on the Road to Peace and Human Dignity." And I enjoyed this book, not because I have any particular affiliation or stance on the Israeli-Palestinian uh, war, but basically this doctor, Ezeldin Abolesh, his family was murdered during the conflict. He was inside his house with his family and he survived. And one of the things that he really writes about and he says in the book is that when you have two men on their deathbeds, you realize that it doesn't matter what culture, what creed, what religion, whatever they subscribe to, all human beings, we, we really, at the end of the day, want the same thing. And that any change in society is not, is not going to come from the government, right? It's going to come from speaking to our neighbors. It's going to come from bridging those common, like those gaps. And when we start to do that, we realize we are more alike than different. And that's something that has really struck with me, whether I think about like race, whether I think about gender inequality, is that we're all wanting the same thing. And I think feminism can also, there's a lesson to be learned there, whether we're speaking about like intersectional nature of feminism, or we're speaking about how to deal with like race relations in South Africa. I think it's I think we have to realize that we're human beings and we all should be striving for a common humanity, even though that is, I realize, a very idealistic aspiration. Next up, I spoke with writer Michelle Edwards. The one book that I always think about when I'm considering this question is Cat's Eye by Margaret Atwood, one of her older ones, and it's about the relationship between two young girls and I always think of this quote when asked about this book. She said, Little girls are only little girls to everyone else, to each other and to themselves. That's not what they are. Kind of this idea of, you know, little girls are harmless and whatever, fluffy and pink and sweet. And we don't see necessarily what's going on between them because they kind of written off as being, you know, harmless and unthreatening. So that's a book that I always think of when I think about a book that inspired by feminism, but it's, it's not necessarily a feminist text 
and I also read a lot of women-centered romantic fiction, and I just feel like I could, I want to use every soapbox that I'm afforded to <laughs> shout about the joys of books by Casey McQuiston and even Liz Gilbert's City of Girls. Mm. I think they're they're so so under criminally criminally underrated. <laughs> um, because they seem, you know, they seem as frivolous and fluffy. And of course there are those, and those are fine, but the really, really good romantic fiction is just objectively good fiction, but with women at the centre, mm. women's personal enjoyment in the for, like at the forefront, which is kind of a radical act. It shouldn't be in 2021, but putting women's pleasure up front somehow seems quite radical. And in our last episode of Season 3, I spoke with writer and educator Ananda Morris-Paver. I suppose my feminism is inspired by every book I read because in a book you you see a lot of those narratives play out, particularly if you're reading some of those old classics by, you know, the classic white European um, male author who's kind of handing down this knowledge about what women want and what women like. I mean, D.H. Lawrence is a classic example. So I think I find those kinds of things very inspiring because I'm like, this is exactly the sort of uh, discourse. These are exactly the sort of ideas that we need to dismantle. Um, But a a book that I loved from an academic perspective uh, was Judith Butler's Gender Trouble. That was um, fundamental to really looking at how we enact those gender narratives. Um, And then Chris Krause's I Love Dick, uh, very before its time, kind of the mid nineties when it came out, um, a lot of the things she's talking about are currently debated now. So yes, those two specifically from a feminist perspective. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Living While Feminist with me, Jen Thorpe. Please do tune in next week to hear more from feminists about their lives and experiences. Take care of yourselves.